the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Hour two has had a major explosion and what appears to be a complete collapse surrounding the entire area. Marine 6, 10 we were notified, Jay. Today our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. And we responded with the best of America. Four commercial airplanes in the United States, two United Airlines, two American Airlines, have crashed. We know two of them went into, uh, this is one of the planes, American Airlines 77, Dulles to Los Angeles. That plane, that second plane, believed to have crashed uh, into uh, the Pentagon. First American Airlines flight believed to have crashed into one of the World Trade Center towers. United Airlines flight 93, leaving Newark on the way to San Francisco. Francisco, believed to have uh, crashed in Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh, and finally another United Airlines flight believed to have crashed into the World Trade Center. Even almost 11 years after the events of September the 11th still seared in our minds, we struggle with the questions of why. How do we understand? How do we relate? And most importantly, from a Christian perspective, how do we respond? Our conversation tonight with best-selling author, he is Dr. Michael Youssef, host of Leading the Way, the broadcast weekday afternoons at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. Get back to more of your calls for Dr. Youssef. We're going to talk next to Martin. Martin, come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Michael Youssef. My question is, is God going to deal with the United States for not helping Israel. God is going to deal with the United States. Well, let's let's talk a bit about that relationship. You know, one of the things, Dr. Youssef, that often we've heard cited is the sense that uh, because the United States has been so friendly toward Israel that this has put a target on us, I think we've seen a little bit of an easing of the nature or depth of that relationship under the current administration. But what of this issue of America's relationship with Israel and the whole Islamic question? You know, when you think about it, uh, Israel is a tiny little country uh, which uh, has is, is a true democracy in the truest sense of the word. Uh, for example, uh, we had a, uh, an, an Israeli consul general here in Atlanta a few years ago who happened to be a Druze, not Jewish. Now, that you would never find that in the Arab world. Uh, in the Arab world, the idea of democracy is one man, one vote, one time, uh, until they take over power. But So we got the tiny little democracy in the sea of, used to be dictatorships, now sea of Islamic, uh, ide- ideological Islamic militants. And uh, if Israel goes, it's like they often used to refer to Israel as the little Satan, but America is the big Satan. At least that's what Khomeini used to say um, in in Iran. Uh, So really, Israel is not even the question. Uh, That's just an excuse. Um, uh, To be sure, in their mindset, in their mentality, 
is that uh, since their world is divided into two divisions, you got the house of Islam and the house of war, that's everybody in Islam and everybody out of Islam, and therefore the house, members of the house of war, Jewish people, have come and occupied the land that belongs to the house of Islam. So consequently, they're not going to rest until they try to destroy Israel. Um, now, we're not the only country standing with Israel, although we're the only one who are vocally standing with Israel, but uh, other European countries that are supporting Israel, the whole, really the world, except the Muslim world, uh, acknowledge Israel's right to exist. And uh, Egypt and Jordan, at least to, to a certain degree, uh, used to be Turkey, they all had uh, diplomatic relations with Israel. Uh, so it's not an, it's not an, it's, it's not that simple that uh, that you know, because of Israel we are suffering. All right, thanks so much for your call, Martin. We're going to move on next to uh, Gary in Santa Rosa. Gary, you've been very patient. Come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Michael Yosef. Yes, thank you very much, um, Dr. Yosef. I really appreciate the education that you're providing on uh, this particular topic because uh, I know myself i don't know a whole lot about uh what the muslims believe and and uh why they act the way they act and this really has shed a lot of light on it i really appreciate it do you um i guess my question would be do you have um a feeling as to how this current administration um how they feel about muslims and and the impact that they have on this administration well, before Mr. Obama was elected, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, spilled the beans in a conference in Paris, and he said that uh, if Obama gets elected, he uh, uh, that uh, Israel will be finished, and it's now going to the Arabs. And then they came back, of course, and they denied it. Oh no, 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 that's not the case. And um, but you know, it, it's so clear to any person <laughs> you have to be blind not to see it that um, Israel is totally uh, being, and the way they treated the Prime Minister of Israel and, and got him in the back side of the White House, and, and then they get, uh, they give the, the, the Muslim Arab leaders uh, the red carpet treatment, and there's obvious a bias uh, in, in the current administration. I mean, that just, and, and I was in Israel twice last year, and, and, and they, they basically uh, uh, very afraid that America may not be standing by them anymore, uh, and so that is that is a fact. By the way, uh, Craig, if I can tell Gary and all your listeners, there is uh, if they're interested in write in, in I'm writing a great deal about the political side of things, not as a ministry but a separate uh, entity. Uh, it's called MichaelYusuf.com. It's that very simple, MichaelYusuf.com, and I have written extensively about the political issues uh, this is a, a company that is not a ministry and therefore I had the freedom to write about it without uh, being associated as uh, the head of leading the way or the church and I've written about the, the whole issues of the Middle East Islam politics uh, the Arab Spring as a matter of fact I was uh, the day the rise of the uh, revolution in Egypt I was sitting on the CNN desk here in Atlanta on worldwide television CNN telling them, don't believe your reporters on the ground. As soon as the Mubarak goes, the Islamists are going to take over. 
and I have been waiting for them to invite me back so I can say I told you so. <laughs> that hasn't happened so far. Probably no. It's not happened so far, and I doubt where it's going to happen. But if you, any of the listeners want to check some of the writings on all of these issues, uh, I mean, I have written many, many, many times, and of course, my blog is picked up by townhall.com and, and One News Now, and a whole bunch of other uh, uh, networks, but uh, michaelyusuf.com, I have a weekly report, there's one on, uh, on right now on uh, the whole concept of jihad. Appreciate that. Dr. Yusuf, could you stay with us for a couple of more minutes? Sure. Okay, great. We're going to take a brief time out. I want to get you a quick update on traffic, see if we can squeeze another call in, and then we're going to have Dr. Yusuf answer specifically this question about the so-called Arab Spring turning into what some have considered to be the Islamic winter, particularly in light of what's been going on in his own home nation of Egypt. A quick time out. Back with more and some closing thoughts from Dr. Yusuf. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The world is divided into two sides. The side of faith and the side of infidelity. Welcome back to the conversation. There was a quote from Osama bin Laden, uh, taken a number of years ago, articulating what perhaps is at the core a very true statement, that the world is divided. It is essentially two worldviews. We're talking about that topic tonight. Dr. Michael Youssef, host of Leading the Way. Of course, this broadcast is heard weekday afternoons at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. Lee in Palo Alto, come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Youssef. Hi, I just wanted to thank you so much for putting together the prayer chain. I joined your email, and it was just so comforting to know that there was a prayer that everybody was on the same page and saying the same thing, and it was just comforting. So I wanted to thank you for that. Thank you, Lee, and we're about to launch another one, and next week we're we're calling for 100,000 people who are going to pray daily for America between now and Election Day, so thank you for for that, Now you're going to hear from me soon. Well, that's great. Sign me up, and I'll I'll mention it to my Bible study (laughs) tomorrow night. (laughs) Amen. All right, Lee, God bless you. Thanks so much for your call here tonight. Dr. Yosefis, we've seen kind of the domino effect taking place uh, in the Middle East over the last many months. So Tunisia, Libya, your own home nation of Egypt. This sense that I think particularly from a Western viewpoint and, and we see the, 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 the calls for freedom and the fall of tyranny and, and uh, these dictatorships and so forth. I think a lot of us in the West assume that it naturally meant it was somewhat kind of similar to the American Revolution, rather 1776, that it was yeah. a fight for democracy. And yet we've seen, particularly in Egypt, with what's happened to the Coptic Christians and the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood there, that yeah. sadly just the opposite is happening. Exactly, and what uh, even what's going on in Syria today, and people think, well, this is this is a freedom-loving people fighting a dictator. No, they're going to be a bunch of dictators fighting another dictator. Uh, they are the one is Shia uh, sect, the other one is Sunni, and there's a Muslim Brotherhood who are fighting in Syria, not uh, an Al Qaeda. They're not freedom-loving. So it is really the sad part for me is to see countries. Where I used to tell people when they traveled with me places like Egypt, I said, you're safer to walk in the middle of the night in the streets of Cairo than you are in any American city. I can't say that anymore because since the so-called Arab Spring, the place has become dangerous. Uh, churches are being burned, people are being killed in the street, and the Muslims are now trying to write a new constitution where it's going to 
be worse than Saudi Arabia. We're going to chop the hands of people and the legs and, and all that stuff. And it's really, really sad what is happening to, to that part of the world today. And we need to realize, and let that, that be a warning to us, is that uh, that, that could come here. That uh, with the introduction of the Sharia courts is basically the camel's nose under the tent. And we've seen that there had been uh, a move toward more and more states wanting to pass laws that would forbid judges from utilizing so-called Sharia law in the application of, of uh, American jurisprudence. But now we're seeing even that is kind of beginning to, to sort of wane. It seems as if the further we get away from 9-11, the, the dimmer our memory grows. And it's interesting yeah. because as much as we, we pride ourselves on our, our intellectual enlightenment in the West, there seems to be uh, almost a sense of spiritual ignorance on this topic that's astounding. Exactly. And, and England is a very good example of that. They thought, well, if they put... If they allow two or three Sharia courts, you know, for the Muslims who really want to be treated by their laws, which is terrifying to women, by the way, because they would go to a Sharia court and the man has beaten his wife, and the Sharia judge says, "Hey, go back and beat her some more, because that's what you commanded to do." And uh, and and in those two, three courts now there are 88 of them, mm. and they are growing like topsy throughout the British Isles. And uh, as I said, it's it's only you get the nose, the tent, under, uh, the camel's nose under the tent, and it's uh, Katie by the door. A final question for you, Doctor uh, Youssef. You've been so gracious to stay with us a little longer here tonight. Uh, on, on the Granders topic here, as we talk about what's going on throughout the globe and the responsibility of the church and and, and I don't want to get distracted with uh, too much focus on eschatology but where do you see all of this headed number one Uh, particularly as we've seen the so-called Arab Spring turning into this Islamic winter in countries like Egypt and then secondarily what do you believe is the responsibility of every Christian in terms of how do we respond to all of this I think any Christian who claims to really know the Lord Jesus Christ and being born again and is not involved in some way in evangelism, in global evangelism, is really sinning against the Lord. And I'm talking about global evangelism. It could be across the street or across the world. It's sinning against the commission of the Lord. He is the one who commanded us to go to Ta Ethna. That's every nation, every ethnic group. And especially these days, um, that uh, if we live in the living in the last day or not, I've been doing a series on Second Thessalonians, and Paul talks about end of history when he said when the, you you basically see that the Holy Spirit begin to uh, withdraw that restraining force of the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit himself will disappear, but as his hand, the power and influence been taken out of the world. The spirit of lawlessness, and we see that spirit of lawlessness is happening all over us, all over the world, and it's all around us. And then the man of lawlessness will rise. And uh, whether we are around the corner from that or not, I'm not one of those people who set dates, but I'm uh, certainly saying that we're living at a certain time in history where it is incumbent upon every Christian to get serious about their Christian faith and stop sitting in the seats of salvation on that blessed assurance (laughs) and going to church and, and then living for self for the rest of the week. I think those days are over for believers. Now, we don't want to challenge the Christians to realize their God-given call and responsibility to be actively involved in reaching out 
in one way or another. There are some people can go, some people can give, some people can pray, but every church and every believer should be involved. And, you know, uh, to kind of put a bow on this, the, the only hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's incumbent Absolutely. upon us to share that message. We are called to, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to go into all the world and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's not a mandate that rests only on the shoulders of Dr. Youssef, but in fact a mandate that rests on the shoulders of all of us. Craig, thank you so much for having me. Take care now. Dr. Michael Youssef, Blindsided, the Radical Islamic Conquest. Details, too, there on the Ministry of Leading the Way. I want to get more information specifically about his background, both a senior pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta and his involvement with the Leading the Way broadcast. Uh, information on the web at leadingtheway.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I want to take you to kind of a sur- surreal place for a moment. Imagine lying in your hospital bed. Heartbeat is kind of weak. Your breath is faint. Old age is kind of winning the battle. You'll feel that you're you're close to inevitably passing. You're resigning yourself to the inevitable. Hopefully you're secure in your eternity, so that's not a concern. And yet as you're preparing to pass on to the next life, we all want some comfort and the feeling of having contact with others. And as you lie there in the hospital bed, you hear this. That um, voice, and I apologize for the poor quality of the recording, is known as the last moment robot. Recently invented by the Japanese, the idea is to place it into the hospital rooms of patients who are dying that lack any family and friends to be there by their side as they pass to comfort them. And the recording there, if you didn't hear it too well, you know, I'm sorry that you're passing, so on and so forth. Your friends and your family will remember you. They remember you so well they can't even bother to show up to your hospital. You know, at first you think, well, it, it, somebody's thinking about those who are dying to comfort them in their last moments on Earth. And then after that thought shoots through your mind for about a split second, you go, wait a minute. Our culture and society these days is being reduced down to bringing the robot. Charlie's dying in there. Bring the robot in. And that's going to give comfort and love and care and attention. The last voice that you hear on this side is going to be a mechanical voice coming from a robot. Are you kidding me with this? Not a joke. Dead serious. Marketing this thing to hospitals in Japan as we speak. The last moment robot. If that thing were by my bedside and no one else, believe me, we'd be going out together because the last grasp of, of energy I had would be to strangle the thing and pull the plug out from the wall. That story demonstrative of trends taking place in Western culture and society today were frankly 
The value of life is just slipping away so rapidly. We're in such a hurry to get people that that are uh, no longer of use to us or, or we're all concerned about quality of life to the degree that if you become inconvenient to the rest of us or too expensive or if we figure economically that it would be more advantageous to take the $100,000 you need that might add another year or two to your life and you're an octarian, for example, well, better off to take that money and give it to somebody in their 30s and 40s and, and extend their life for more years because after all, what apparently counts these days in life and death decisions is no longer based on morals and values but rather on money value. More on this sad story in State of Affairs. Bobby Schindler joins us, Executive Director of the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. And Bobby, thanks for taking time to be with us tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This story of this last moment robot, I guess just the latest chapter in what continues to be just a disconnectedness, I think, with humanity when it comes to the topics of those that uh, are either at the waning moments of life or have been determined by uh, the health care system not deserving of our care or our attention or least of all our money. Well, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with everything you were saying, uh, Mr. Roberts. Uh, we, we're becoming more and more desensitized to what it means to be... Uh, to have compassion and love for individuals and and uh, being convinced and, and justify, uh, as I said, more and more every day where uh, there are some circumstances where it's perfectly okay to kill, kill an individual. Where did this slippery slope begin to get kind of the the fast track ride here? I mean, we all know the stories of the likes of Jack Kevorkian. Uh, we know the debates about, uh, you know, death with dignity, the right to die, hemlock society, things of this sort. But there seems to me to be a shift somewhere in here, Bobby, and I can't quite pinpoint it in my own mind, but it just seems as if we've moved from what it used to be of giving all the love, the care, and attention that we could to our loved ones and, and just to other human beings uh, to make sure that they had every opportunity to live life completely into its fullest, had, if they so desired, every resource available to them uh, so that they could have a shot at life. And suddenly, at some point here, we we turn a really dangerous corner. Where would you give conjecture to where that happened? Well, it's hard to know exactly, but I think it's been happening for many, many years. It's the, it's the drip, drip. It's the constant drumbeat of this pro-death movement. And um, I think it's working. I, I think the, the media, the secular media, has, has a... Uh, has a real powerful influence on, on the way we think about certain issues, the uh, bioethics community, uh, and even certain, uh, I think, a growing number of those in the healthcare profession. Uh, we saw on my sister's case uh, where, where, where there were people and, and uh, the way they came out in, in favor of, of killing, uh, dehydrating and starving my sister to death, something if we do with an animal, even today, it's a felony crime, but but uh, we see it every day working at our, our organization now, trying to help other families. Uh, we see we hear some of the chilling stories of families that are up against these these doctors and these healthcare uh, ethics committees, and um, and just how quick they want to end life, and and just how how much it's being accepted in, in our society today. It's it's quite frightening, uh, Mr. Roberts. It really is. You know, we followed with um, great interest and and at the end, great disappointment. What transpired in the case of your sister Terry. Um, and I know that your your ex brother in law played a, a major role in trying to kind of uh, push that that whole event 
uh, to reality so much quicker. Based on your experiences, either personally within your family and and the case of your sister, Terry, uh, Bobby, or on the grander scale of just what you've seen since being involved with the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, how much of this is being motivated by just greed? Well, I think the underlying problem certainly is money. Uh, uh, As you you pointed out earlier in in your comments, uh, if a person becomes too expensive or they're a drain on society and they're not giving anything back, well, what's the point in keeping them alive? Uh, someone like my sister, who not too long ago it would have been thought of as being barbaric to kill her the way they the, the way they killed her. Uh, today, it's it's ordinary. It's happening every day. Food and water is now determined to be medical treatment uh, through feeding tubes, and it's basically uh, enabled healthcare professionals to deny it to individuals so that they starve and dehydrate to death. Terry was not dying. She was not in a coma. Uh, she had no terminal uh, disease. She was basically a woman with a cognitive, a cognitive disability. But yet, uh, our society today has, has perfectly and, and willingly accepted uh, the way we are killing her and, and others like her every single day in our nation. And I don't think people realize just how much this is happening in, in our country today. And to the degree to which perhaps this is being fast-tracked, I mean, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the Obamacare bill, which is currently under consideration by the United States Supreme Court, uh, the idea of these death panels and things of that sort, which, you know, oh, no, we're, we're, we're really, we're exaggerating when we say that. We're just talking about efficiency of how we invest money in health care. But I guess at the end of the day, uh, whether you talk about death panels, health care rationing, managing money, whatever it is, it still comes down to a fundamental change in the manner in which we treat those that are most fragile amongst us. Whom for, up until recent years, Bobby, as we've been discussing, used to get the most care, the most love, the most attention. Now it seems to be the first group that we want to strip all that away from. There's been a definite shift. There's no doubt uh, with what's happening in our country today. And we've turned from looking at all life as having value and dignity to to looking at life as as quality and based on a person's quality of life now determine whether or not uh, they will live or die and uh, and those decisions are being made every day and i think going back to your question earlier when did this shift occur i I think we could we could look at the abortion uh, abortion issue once it became legal to abort your baby you 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 devalue one life uh the unborn child and and really it's just a domino effect from there, and, and there's, it should surprise nobody that we're now killing the elderly, those with cognitive disabilities, and so many others based on their quality rather than their value. And and in such a arbitrary fashion, I might add too that what you would determine to be a quality of life might be different for somebody else. And you know, I think in the end, that's a very private, very personal, uh, very intimate decision and discussion that needs to take place amongst friends and family and intimates, not something that ought to be determined by a panel of bean counters or even physicians who are acting as bean counters 3,500 miles away that look at you not as an individual who has connection with family and friend and life and intrinsic value who ultimately is created in God's image, but rather as a line of expense. You're an expenditure. You're somebody for whom perhaps this is not a wise investment based on what we determine to be arbitrarily so. Quality of life. Boy, the talk about a buzzword. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Bobby Schindler, Executive Director of the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. He is the brother 
of Terry Schiavo. You know, of course, uh, intimately her story. We're talking about these issues of quality of life and, and what seems to be yet once again this, this steady march toward redefining what life means and hastening the passing of those amongst us whom we figure to be either inconvenient, too expensive, or just not being able to contribute to society and therefore arbitrarily on their behalf. We will determine what quality of life means and when it all ought to end. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Terry Schiavo is alive. She's not just barely alive. She's not being kept alive. She is alive as you and I. And as such, we have a moral obligation to protect and defend her from the fate premeditated by the Florida courts. Sadly, of course, I think at a lot of levels, we um, we as society failed Terry Schiavo in a very significant fashion. And boy, talk about understatements. Bobby Schindler is with us tonight. He is the brother of Terry Schiavo and executive director of the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. That, that piece of audio going back a number of years now, Bobby, I think was the attorney um, representing uh, your family in this case. Uh, boy, talk about an understatement in terms of just really having failed her, didn't we, as society? Well, it's so, it's so hard to believe uh, to this day uh, that that this was allowed to happen to a, a human being uh, who simply was experienced a cognitive disability. But uh, the reason we're doing what we're doing today uh, with our organization, uh, as you mentioned, the Terry, Shif- Shari- Terry Shiva Life and Hope Network, is because the issue did not die with my sister, which has been seven years now. And, and what happened to Terry, as I uh, as I said earlier, is happening every day in our country. And, and what do I mean by that? We're, we're not talking about those that have uh, a terminal illness with are intermittently dying. Uh, we're talking about people that could quite uh, possibly live a, a normal lifespan uh, that, that are not dying of any, any disease, uh, but are being killed every day by having their food and water taken away. And, uh, uh, and I think people are still very confused on this issue. Uh, I saw it with my sister's case, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm seeing with the subsequent cases that we handle all the confusion and, and uh, misunderstanding about this issue that, that we're talking about here tonight. A lot of that confusion and misunderstanding. How much of that, in your opinion, Bobby, is because the, the terms of engagement, the rules here, are, are being rewritten and rephrased? I mean, I, I think of the number of speeches that Jack Kevorkian used to give, and it was always tried to be painted in terms of this is the compassionate thing to do, this is the caring thing to do, and yet, as I was commenting with my colleague Richard here off the air, mentioned about this robot said, oh, yeah, you know, and I don't want to have to go see mom die, just put the robot over there, and then afterwards we can say to ourselves, well, you know, we, uh, she had some comfort. We, we took care of what she needed. We, we made sure that there was somebody there to kind of see her on the way out. It, it, it's almost as if we have suddenly shifted this where it used to be about the patient and their needs and their circumstances and their quality of life and their right to life, and suddenly now the focus has shifted really on doing what we want for ourselves, hasn't it? Well, certainly. Uh, we're losing the narrative, or we've lost the narrative, and, and no longer do doctors uh, take the uh, Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. And, and as we, we've been talking about, it becomes a, subject, a subjective uh, decision. It, it's based on uh, value judgments instead of medical assessments, and, and, and we're seeing it every day. Uh, as, I, as I keep saying, uh, I think people will be shocked to, to learn, or, or maybe they won't, or maybe they, they're just apathetic to it, just how many people are being killed by being by dehydration and starvation every day 
in our nation across hospitals, hospices, and nursing homes. And, and, and it's, it's, it's quite frightening, quite sad, really. Uh, the apathy, the, the attitude, and, and the, the uh, I guess, the subjective nature in which we're deciding uh, so many cases, uh, similar to my sister and, and, and the elderly and, and so many other people that are really in the crosshairs of this death movement. We're, we're really kind of surrendering our humanity here uh, bit by bit, aren't we? Uh, I think so. And, and I hate to sound so doom and gloom, but but it's it's uh, we have some very powerful influences that are, as I said earlier, just kind of indoctrinating and, and desensitizing. Uh, most of our culture on an everyday everyday basis. Well, here's one story I've got in front of me. A three-year-old girl by the name of, of Amelia who was denied a kidney transplant that she needed to live, not because the kidney wasn't available, but because according to the hospital panel that makes such decisions, um, she was, quote-unquote, mentally retarded. And because of that, there really wasn't a quality of life there. And so uh, because of uh, the uh, the challenges that she had from an intellectual or cognitive standpoint, she was denied a shot at life. I mean, I don't know how people can make such decisions so flippantly uh, and, and, and live with themselves. Well, it, it's... Um I think a lot of it has to do with this one very powerful question, and it was used a lot in my sister's case, and I hear it all the time. It's who would want to live this way? And um, and again, I think that's kind of controlling uh, much of the decisions that are being made today. Because um, when you when you frame a question like that, it's it's a loaded question, first of all, because nobody would choose to live with a disability if given the choice. Uh, but the fact is that there are people. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people that, that are living with disabilities like my sister and, and so many others uh, in our country today. And, and when, you, when you pose that question to them, it, it really makes it, uh, I think, somewhat uh, difficult, uh, r- really, for people to see the value and dignity in, in those that, that have these types of um, uh, injuries, uh, these brain injuries. Well, and at the end of the day, it ought to be not about uh, us, it ought to be about them. I mean, when we talk about, you know, while we're doing this to end suffering, who would want to live that way, uh, quality of life, things of this sort. I mean, it, it, there are really kind of buzzwords, all of which come back to what we're trying to say about the circumstance to feel better about it ourselves, because what we're really at the end of the day saying is that we don't care. Well, it really is about us, Mr. Roberts. I mean, you're exactly right. That's no longer about the, individ- the individual that, that needs our love and attention and our compassion, those that are completely dependent upon us. And, and that's, again, a, a point. And, and, and I speak in general terms. This obviously doesn't apply to all of us. I mean, there's some wonderful and loving people and doctors and nurses out there uh, that, that feel the same way we do. But I think there's a growing number that are accepting this quality of life uh, attitude. And, and and they do look at people as numbers, and, and they don't—they don't see the value and dignity, and, and, and they justify and rationalize different ways to kill these people, on all, all in the name of you know, quote unquote, mercy. And Bobby, I think it's important to have you underscore for listeners that maybe uh, didn't catch it the first time or have tuned in a bit late that th- this dialogue has made a subtle shift here. We're not necessarily talking about extreme heroics in order to try and and maintain somebody's life. We're down to cases now where, as part of a cost saving agenda uh folks are being encouraged to literally 
pull feeding tubes uh, from from elderly patients, you know, deprive them of of, of substance uh, and then let them pass peacefully. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> to one degree, whether you're getting the food off of a plate at the table or a feeding tube, you know, the end result is the same thing. Uh, and then to the cruelty of the same thing, whether you're taking away food from a starving person or simply denying them substance by cutting off the feeding tube, you know, isn't it ultimately still murder? Well, it's hard not to look at it as that. Uh, I mean, again, you look at the case of my sister, uh, who only really needed a wheelchair, and she could have been taken anywhere. Uh, I don't think people realize that. And and we're talking, and you're right, we're not talking about any heroic measures uh, keeping these individuals alive. Uh, but but yet, uh, I mean, do people actually think and and understand what we're doing to those with these types of disabilities? We're starving and dehydrating them to death. Uh, sometimes it, it takes more uh, than, than two weeks, as it was in the case of my sister. But, but uh, we're actually depriving them of the most, our, most, our most basic need. And, and it just seems to me that uh, more and more of our country today just doesn't seem to have a problem with that. And, and that's what really, uh, as I keep saying, is, is, is really frightening for us uh, as we see as an organization uh, as we move forward here. Let me ask you this question, Bobby, for those of us who do get it who understand that what we're really seeing here is is the slow demise of what had been human dignity and care for life and and concern for uh, the infirm and elderly and so forth. You know, those to whom we used to give the most, now we wish to offer them the absolute least we can. Uh, but for those who understand it and get what it is that we're talking about today, how can we become better engaged? Uh, how can working with organizations uh, like the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network uh, help us get the message out and, and turn the, the, the direction of all this, stem the tide, so to speak? Well, it, 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 it's a good question. It's, it's always one hard for me to, uh, to answer. Uh, I mean, certainly if, if you go to our website, it's uh, lifeandhope.com, you can see and, and understand and educate your, yourself on this issue because I think there really is a lack of understanding, a lack of education when it comes uh, to this issue. There's there's much confusion uh, about what we're talking about here. People don't realize that that people like my sister that are really in only need of food and water uh, are being killed like this every day, and people need to get involved, uh, whatever that might be, uh, by getting involved. But, but people need to, to really make an effort on, on getting involved. You know, you have a gentleman. Uh, right there in your backyard, Wesley Smith has been warning us, uh, bioethicists uh, uh, who has been warning us about what was happening, what was going to be happening in our country many, many years ago. And, and much of what he was warning us about is coming true. And, and it's really because of the apathy. I think a, a large part is because of the apathy and people just not getting involved. So I, I think that's very important. People need, if people get involved and they showed uh, that they care and there's an interest in this and start pushing back uh, and, and perhaps some of the laws would begin to change, I, I think we would see a, a shift or uh, perhaps a, a way we can start protecting these people instead of uh, uh, continuing to rationalize killing them. You're right. We, we, we have to stop the rationalization. We have to stop making this simply uh, an issue of dollars and cents. Um, we have to get educated. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Wes Smith. He's a dear friend and been as a, a frequent guest on this program and has done a fantastic job. And, and we appreciate not only his efforts, but efforts of people like yourself, Bobby. I know that through a lot of own personal pain in your family uh, in, in jumping on uh, to, to kind of lead the charge, so to speak, of awareness on this topic. And we sure appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. Well, thank you. And, and these aren't easy issues. I mean, these are difficult, but, but uh, what else? Cho- what other choice do we have but to, to look out and protect our most vulnerable? And, and unfortunately, I, 
I think we're losing that, and and uh, and through prayer and God's grace, uh, I hope we can we can we can do better. Amen. And you know, we're here in an election year, which ought to sensitize us at a lot of levels to, to having our voice heard. And 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 you know, as Bobby Schindler points out, there, you know, uh, we're, we're we're kind of allowing our humanity. Uh, to slip through our fingers here, and we're justifying all of this. And you know, mankind is certainly not a stranger to justification uh, of of uh, immoral and ungodly actions. But now it's getting to be amped up to the nth degree, uh, and it's terrible. I mean, you know, when I first saw the story about the uh, uh, the last moment robot, I thought, well, there's somebody's attempt to want to make sure that an individual who's uh, you know uh, passing has some kind of sense of comfort. And then I thought, wait a minute, do you really? think that a person's going to get comfort by an automatron voice and and this mechanical arm reaching out and stroking stroking you uh, that's not really doing something of care and concern for the dying that's really just appeasing our own uh, inadequacy perhaps and you know we ought to look at that instead and say you know what we need to make sure that no one ever has to pass away alone, and that we, as a, a particularly as Christians, but as a society and a culture, uh, need to do a far, far better job. That instead of of cutting off from individuals the kind of love and care and attention that they ought to receive at their final moments, uh, we ought to be saying instead, what can we do to give them everything possible? We don't do that anymore, and we all justify this because it's well about quality of life when it's really about not wanting to be inconvenienced and greed and just at certain levels downright evil you know a guy like Jack Kevorkian Dr. Death aptly named so sad alright we're going to take a time out here when we turn a corner Claudia Humphrey is going to join us uh, we've got another sobering issue to talk about tonight, and I, I apologize for uh, kind of the, the weightiness of such matters, uh, but it is important that we as believers are aware of the battle that is on the front lines and to be engaged in the spiritual warfare, as Bobby just mentioned a moment ago, um, that we have to prayerfully in dealing with these issues, because uh, this is uh, this is a critical stand that we have to take as believers Boy, if there was ever a sense of being in the end times, uh, we are there. Our thanks again to Bobby Schindler, Executive Director of the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, brother of Terry Schiavo. More information on the web at lifeandhope.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.